So one of the things that I love about this time of year has really nothing to do with Christmas. It's, uh, it's something we all look forward to now, and it's our Spotify wrapped. Anybody get their Spotify wrapped here in the last week or so? You find out what your favorite songs were for the year, your top songs, your top artists, what you've been listening to. So the problem with my Spotify, it's not a problem, it's a good thing, is it is largely curated by two things, me working out or my two daughters, 22 and 27, sending me music and telling me to listen to it. So therefore, I am not ashamed to say that one of my top songs of 2019 was Beyonce's Mood Forever. <laughs> I don't have time to extol all the virtues of this magnificent song, but here's a line that gives you the general idea when she says, why would you try me? Why would you bother? I am Beyonce Giselle Nose Carter. I am the Nala sister of Yoruba, Ocean Queen Sheba. I am the mother, Ankh on my gold chain, ice on my whole chain. I be like soul food. I am, my favorite line, a whole mood. <laughs> That's spectacular <laughs> when she sings it. Not so great when I say it. One review... <laughs> One review of the song, after proclaiming its contagious joy, said, in Mood Forever, in Mood Forever, Beyonce also raises consciousness and visibility for issues of race, colorism, intersectional feminism, and African culture that too often gets written out of history. It's truly a gift. Now, millions of Christians today all over the world are actually looking at a gospel text that wasn't read as a part of our service today. And we might say it's a first century version of Mood Forever, written by an impoverished, unwed, brown-skinned mother who could not have been on more of the margins of society than she was when she's saying what we now call her Magnificat. And it's a, bad, it's, a, it's a real combination of just unmitigated joy at what God is doing. You've heard some of these words. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He looked with favor on the lowliness of his servants. So surely from now on, generations will call me blessed. The mighty one has done think great things for me. And then there's a, a, a kind of a hairpin turn when the Magnificat says... Mary says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly and filled the hungry with good things and sit the rich away empty. This is Mary saying she is a whole mood at this moment. Because in the midst of all of the delight of the first half of the song, Mary now raises consciousness around poverty, economic injustice, and the wickedness of systems and governments designed to empower oppressors at the expense of the people, in particular the poor. It is a mood forever. Author Rachel Held Evans put it like this. She said, with the Magnificat, Mary not only announces a birth, she announces the inauguration of a new kingdom, one that stands in stark contrast to every other kingdom, past, present, and future, that relies on violence and exploitation to achieve greatness. With the Magnificat, Mary declares that God has indeed chosen sides, and it's not with the powerful, but with the humble. 
It's not with the rich, but with the poor. It's not with the occupying force, but with the people on the margins. It's not with narcissistic kings, but with an unwed, unbelieved teenage girl entrusted with the holy task of birthing, nursing, and nurturing God. This is a stunning claim of the incarnation. God has made a home among the very people the world casts aside. And in her defiant prayer, Mary, a dark-skinned woman, a refugee, a religious minority in an occupied land, names this reality. And so the Magnificat tells us that the gospel is truly good news for the poor, for those who feel crushed in a world that thrives on exploitation and injustice, for those needing liberation. But the Magnificat is really good news for everyone. For those who are well-fed and rich or in positions of power and might benefit from systems that oppress others. How? Because you have your marching orders now. You know what Jesus' priorities are. Mary is telling you this is what Jesus is about. And so when we have the possibility, when we have the capacity, the position, the power to help undo these things, we now know this is what Jesus wants us to do to lift up the poor, to center their voices, to learn how oppression works, to learn from those on the margins, and to find that God has been there all along. So, the Magnificat jars us out of what can become kind of a, a Christmas coma of good feelings and sentiments and grounds us back into the work of Jesus to take up our cross and to follow him and his priorities. And when we do... When we do, we'll find out that maybe the wealthy are sent away empty because our wealth has made us numb to our need of God. It's tricked us into thinking we're self-sufficient because it is our hunger which God feeds and not our fullness. It is our hunger which God feeds and not our fullness. And so we celebrate, yes, Joy to the world, but joy to all of it. Especially all the broken places. Because as Bonhoeffer said when preaching on this text, God is not ashamed of human lowliness because right into the middle of it, God calls it blessed. That where our piety anxiously keeps its distance, that is exactly where God loves to be. Hmm. And it's why the good news is good news for everybody, or it's not good news for anybody. 